So who's in the mood to talk about the Bible now? I love that title package. It gets us in, in the mood uh, for what we're going to be talking about tonight and, uh, and then also for the weeks to come. Uh, and to start, I just want to make an observation that we all know, which is that we all live by calendars, don't we? We need calendars to get through life. They help us track our appointments, keep track of the days, coordinate with other people, uh, make sure the tasks that we have to get done get done. Uh, the calendar is how we know who's got to run which kid to which activity at what time and not get lost and confused. The calendar is how we track our years, our months, and our days. But a calendar can't tell us what to fill our days with. A calendar can't give us identity, can't tell us who we are, or it can't give us purpose. It can't tell us what we should be doing with our hours and our days, weeks, and months. But there is another kind of calendar that can. It's called the liturgical calendar. That's the technical name. But maybe a more useful functional name is it's the rhythms of faith. This is a calendar that teaches us that there are seasons of life, seasons of rest and work, seasons of growth and seasons of pruning, seasons of life, seasons of death. This is the calendar that gives us purpose, meaning, identity. And this calendar is different from the earthly, normal, time-tracking calendar that we're all used to. It can give us more things, it can give us purpose and fulfillment, but the other thing is this calendar is beyond our control. See, one of the traps of the earthly civic calendar is that we think we're in charge. We think we decide what we do with our meetings and our days and our tasks and our extracurriculars. And the more we think we're in control, the more we're, the more we're getting close to losing something that's important, the more we get farther away from our identity and our purpose. I'll give you one quick, uh, maybe dirty example. Uh, what season is hockey played in? Winter, right? So here's an obvious question. Why do we play hockey in the season of winter? Because that's when the ice is, right? Long ago, when we were at the mercy of the elements, you played hockey when there was ice. It was a winter sport. And then when the ice melted, you turned your attention to a different sport. Why do we play baseball in the summer? Because when it's 100 plus degrees outside, you pick the most unathletic sport you can think of. <laughs> I'm just saying. Think about why it's, it's developed the way it has. You spend half of your time in baseball sitting in the shade and the other half of the time wearing a brimmed hat, doing as little as possible, waiting for a ball to get hit to you. All right, I mean, it is a sport that was designed to drink beer while you're playing it. <laughs> Why do we play football in the fall? Because if you tried to put on full pads and helmet in the middle of summer, you would die. Right? So we wait. We wait for August. We wait for the fall when the edge has been taken off the heat just a little bit. And then that's when you shift over to football, right? But now, today, we have air conditioning. You can make an ice rink all year round. And so you can play hockey all year round. And you can make those poor hockey moms get up at four in the morning all year round. Football. 
We can just keep playing. Season ends. We're just going to start a new league, new season. Go Battlehawks, right? <laughs> we don't have to wait. Don't have to wait till next fall. And the more power we've gotten over our environment, the more we think we're in control of our calendar, and the more we shove and cram our calendar full of everything. Our life is now go, go, go all the time. Because if it's perfect 68, 70 degrees all the time, you don't ever have to take a break from work. You don't have to do a siesta like they used to have to do in Spain in the heat of the day. You can just keep going. But guess what? We weren't designed to live that way. We weren't designed to be go, go, go all the time, to be so in control of our environment, our choices that we just jam pack our calendar full every day, every season of the year. See, what happens when we try to live by this calendar, when we delude ourselves into thinking that we're in control and so we can just maintain this breakneck pace is that the, reality of, the realities of life derail us, right? You lay out your 10-year plan, you know what you're gonna do, you're saving for retirement, and then you get laid off. Or you finally got your family stable and everyone's kind of got their place. We know what we're doing. And then someone gets sick. Or you set your sights on a goal and you chase after this goal for years and you get there and you realize that's not what you were meant to be living for. And suddenly you have to change course. You see, as much as we think we're in control, these things of life keep intruding on our own calendars and we don't know how to deal with it unless we tune in to this rhythm of faith, unless we let this liturgical calendar give us the rhythms, the purpose, the identity for our lives. Ecclesiastes 3 is a passage that talks about the first of these lost ways we're gonna be talking about for a few weeks. It talks about these holy seasons, that it's not meant to be go, go, go all the time, that there are seasons of rest and work, life and death, growth and pruning. And so we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter three, but I don't want to read it to you. I'm actually going to have my friends, uh, Jim, Gene, and David read to you Ecclesiastes chapter three. Time to be 
I did that for a reason, not just because it's the birds, and the birds are classic, but because if I just read that to you, you would have heard it, it would have gone in one ear, maybe out the other, and you'd have moved on. But there's something about hearing those words sung, about being forced to go at the pace of the singers, to just let the words sink in and be rhythmic in your life that actually reinforces the truth of what this ancient way teaches us. That these rhythms, they are what dictate our lives. They are what actually bring meaning and fulfillment if we can understand them and sink our lives to them. See, these are the things that, that help us to understand what's going on, what we should fill our lives with. And what's interesting about all of those things in Ecclesiastes 3 is, they're all generally out of control, out of our control. We don't get to decide whether it's a time for war or peace. We only get to decide how we act in whichever season we're in. We don't get to pick whether uh, we embrace or refrain from embracing. The, the relationships around us are going to be the things that drive how we have to react to those moments. And if we don't understand these holy seasons, then we will live our lives frustrated and railing against our lack of control or we can submit to these rhythms that God gave us because they are the way we live the healthiest, the most fruitful, the most fulfilled kind of life. See, this is what the church year does. And some of you come from traditions that have always celebrated some sort of a church year, a liturgical calendar, these rhythms of faith. Some of you don't. So just in a real stripped down way, I want to just describe for you the this ups and downs, the, the rhythms that mark out the year that molds and shapes who we are as a people, as a community that's been formed and shaped by the life of Christ. See, our year starts with this time of expectation and waiting. Right, just like the Hebrews uh, in slavery in Egypt, and they were saying, how long, how long? Or the saints in heaven who are saying, how long, how long, O oh Lord, before you rescue us? And then this moment happens, this moment that we celebrate every single year, this moment of the birth of Jesus Christ, when he enters into the system and changes it forever. And from that time on, now that he's entered into our system, into our lives, into our world, our rhythms, now he invites us to walk along with him, to share in his journey, to follow in his footsteps. His footsteps that ultimately lead him and lead us in one way or another to Jerusalem, where he will experience death and resurrection, and they go together because the Christian community, it's not ever death by itself, it's death and resurrection. And then with Jesus who conquered death, rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, we now live lives of celebration. Our lives have been changed forevermore. 
because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And this is the cycle that we live over and over and over again every single year. I remember when I was a kid and I, I, I suddenly realized, I was like, if Christmas is the day of Jesus' birth, shouldn't we only celebrate it like once every 33 years? Like we should, should be born, then we should like wait 33 years and then do Easter and then maybe start it over, right? I, I, was, I remember being confused about why we do Christmas every year. We do it every year because we do this cycle every year. And then as we let the cycle of Jesus's life give meaning and purpose to ours, you start to see how we have these same rhythms all the time that you're waiting for that next thing in life and then this moment happens, this catalyst and you have a new thing, a new relationship, a new job and then you're walking through that thing and, and you're, you're experiencing this new life and then this moment comes where this thing that was great, it dies, it breaks, the relationship ends, something goes wrong and then we who are resurrected believers, we also experience and we can look forward with hope too that even when things die, even when things break, even when our plans are derailed, we trust and hope in a resurrection. That for us, there is no death without new life. And then we celebrate that victory. We celebrate what it is until we get into the time of waiting all over again. And every year, every season, we repeat this cycle and then we get to see how we have meaning in our lives because of it. We let Jesus's actions, his miraculous conquering of death, we let it drive and shape us. And we as a community of faith can let this be the calendar that gives us our purpose, our meaning, our identity. This is what helps us choose what to do next, what to fill our hours and our days with. Because it's been modeled for us and we as a community, we go through it together, season after season, year after year. And by letting our lives be rooted in the life of Christ, we find that our lives experience the fullness, the meaning, the essence of what Christ had as well. This is what I hope you're here for today, not just for a first communion uh, or because you saw something that, oh, we should go to church tonight, but that we, when we gather here on Ash Wednesday, when we begin the season of Lent, we are willingly submitting our lives to the life of Christ and we are inviting him to shape and to grow and to prune and to ultimately rescue us from death itself. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you that you know how you designed us, that you built these rhythms into us, that just as we need sleep and waking, we also need growth and pruning. And you don't call us even in victory to live lives of constant frenetic energy, always charging after goals, but that you gave us a Sabbath chance to take a break from the strain and the pressures of life. Lord, as we begin this season of Lent, as we turn our eyes with you to Jerusalem, to the death that was waiting God himself in human form, to the little deaths that we experience over and over again in our lives, Lord, we pray that you would mark us not just with ashes this night, but with the hope of the resurrection that we have who have been rescued by you. We pray this in your holy name, amen.
God takes us and loves us just as we are, broken, scared, and vulnerable. As we begin this time of connecting in a very personal way with God, I invite you to confess these words with me. We are born in sinful flesh and soul from dust and ash, unable to help ourselves, inadequate and destitute. Yet you desire faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught us wisdom in that secret place. Created in us a clean heart by your love and power. Place in us a new and right spirit and restore us to yourself. Notice the action verbs in what we just prayed together. We're not trying to restore ourselves to God. We're not trying to put ourselves in his place. He restores us to him. He put himself in our place. Which means that right here, right now, Christ's body, Christ's blood are in this place for you, given for you to sustain the rhythms of your life, to mold and unite this community into a place that can change the world and be joined in celebration forever in everlasting life. And so tonight I remind you of the night when our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and drink. This is my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now here tonight, we have several young people who have not been invited into this rhythm of faith before. But here now tonight, all of you, wherever you're sitting, you've seen your parents, you've seen people around you come up and receive this thing. And you are now invited to more fully participate in this holy season of God, to receive his body, his blood for you, and to take those first adult steps of letting the liturgical calendar, this rhythm of faith, start to form and mold and shape your heart. And so if you're taking your first communion here tonight, I invite you to come forward uh, with, when it's your time to come, but come forward boldly. Don't, don't hesitate or drag or pull back. Walk forward with the boldness of one who has been redeemed by Christ himself. He invites you to receive his body and blood, to have the fullness of everything he desired for you. And so if this is your first time, come up standing tall with confidence. Put your hands out and ask for, demand this gift that Christ wanted you to have to sustain your life, your rhythms in your seasons. There's one other additional special thing we're doing tonight, which is that as part of our communion process, we are inviting you to receive the imposition of ashes on your forehead. Ecclesiastes 3, which uh, you just heard the birds read to you, it continues on and it reminds us that from dust we were made and to dust we shall return. And yet, through the glorious power of Christ, we do not stay dust. 
we receive heavenly, glorious bodies that are waiting for all of us that will not wear out, that will not break down, but that will last for eternity. But here in this life, as we're in that time of the cycle that we turn our eyes and we journey with Jesus to Jerusalem and death, we receive these ashes on our forehead, marking ourselves as ones who will die but also as ones who will rise again through the power of Jesus. So at the end of your communion line, there will be an extra person who's not usually there, ready to mark you with dust, but also to mark you as one who will rise again. Volunteers, you may come forward, and everyone else, welcome to the gifts that God has for you.